Amen. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. When you find that spot in Luke chapter 1, I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 12 first. If I was to title the message tonight, it would be When Believers Don't Believe. When Believers Don't Believe. Just a side note, by the way, uh, I don't know if you've ever wondered about this or not. You might wonder about some believer who ends up with Alzheimer's and even forgets the day they were saved because they don't know. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy. He tells us, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, he saved you. If it comes around, I've already forgotten the word. Um, if it comes around, it can't take away your salvation. Because he abides faithful, always. Well, notice in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be... Now notice, take heed, brethren. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then he says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now go over to the book of Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 5. And we'll read through verse 20. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years." And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife... Well, stricken in years. Do you think maybe he said that in hushed tones? So it wouldn't get back to her? What do you think? 
My wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed. Now notice this. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. When believers don't believe. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how I pray that you would teach us something about belief and unbelief. Dear God, where we see unbelief in our own lives, may we root it out and get rid of it. Because the just shall live by faith. So, Lord, you have your way in our lives now, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Truth is, unbelief is like a terrible disease. You can have it for a long while before you even get to the place where you realize that there's something wrong. And, of course, the longer you wait, the more deadly the disease becomes and the harder it is to stop. Unbelief works a lot like that. You may exhibit it without even knowing that it's there. People who look spiritually healthy often have it, and they fail to recognize it in their lives. Because after all, look at all that I've done for the Lord. Look at all that God has done for me in the past. And yet, exhibiting some symptoms of unbelief is actually quite frequent in the lives of many believers. We, too, often associate unbelief with lost people. And, of course, there is some truth to that. The Apostle Paul did. He talked about his sins before he got saved. He said, because I did them ignorantly and in unbelief. But that's unbelief for the lost. He was a lost man. He did not know any better uh, because he was in unbelief. And, obviously, in order to get saved, we had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, believe on his finished work at Calvary. But what about the unbelief that we're warned about by the writer? When he says, writer of Hebrews, when he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, we look at this story of two really great people, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, these people, God says a lot about them. And from what he tells us here in this passage... There's a warning that we ought to get from it because the commonness of this unbelief is so common that it happens even in the very best of Christians. There is no one here that is immune from showing some symptoms of unbelief. Notice their testimony. It says there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. So their pedigree was right. And they were both righteous before God. Their walk was right, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. These people had a spotless walk. These were people who were so concerned about their walk being right with God that they haven't had an open testimony of being blameless before the Lord. Would to God more Christians would have that kind of a desire? to be walking close to the Lord, to be obeying God in all that they do. But in the story, they also exhibited some unbelief. 
Why is, why is Zacharias not going to be able to talk until the baby's born? Because of his unbelief in the message he just got. That's what the angel said. Because you didn't believe what was given to you. We find a number of people in the Bible who exhibited unbelief who were really champions of faith. Let's take Moses, for instance. In Numbers chapter 20, the children of Israel were complaining again. And God told Moses that he was to go to the rock and speak to the rock. And God would give the children of Israel water out of the rock for a second time. But he goes to the rock and he declares, must we fetch water out of this rock? And then he smites the rock twice. And when God comes on the scene to Moses afterwards, even though he answered the request, he gave water from the rock. It says this in verse 12 of Numbers 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron. Now get this. Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. God told him to speak to the rock. Remember last time he had hit the rock. This time God tells him to speak to the rock. The reality is he doesn't even speak to the rock. He speaks to the people. And he takes credit for bringing the water and then he smites the rock, not once, but twice. He wasn't supposed to even strike it the first time, but he strikes it twice like he's the one that's getting it. And God calls it unbelief. You believe me not to sanctify me. The truth is, whatever we have the privilege of doing in serving the Lord, any success that we get, God's to get the glory from it. Because without him, all of our human efforts to do whatever we want to do is not going to amount to anything. We need him. None of us are so special spiritually that we can do anything for any lasting good without him. He's got to do it. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. And Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The children of Israel, after all the miracles they had seen, when it came time to enter into the promised land, the first time, which should have been the only time, but they didn't get to go in. Why didn't they get to go in? Well, according to Psalm 106 and verse 24, Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. Now, we know that we had Caleb and Joshua. They believed that God would give them the land. I mean, after all, everything they saw in the land was exactly like God said. It was a place where they could be very fruitful, where there was everything, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua and Caleb, they both said, hey, this is like God said. He's promised us the land. Let's go get it. The other said, no, we can't get it. And he describes it in Psalm 106 as they believe not his word. That's unbelief. God's given us a lot of promises in the scripture, a lot of promises. And the reason we aren't doing the spiritual things that we should be doing is we really don't believe his word will work. God looks at it as unbelief. The disciples on the most joyous news of Christianity was that the tomb is empty. He is risen as he said. But of course, Mark 16, 11, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. 
Even the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they didn't believe it. Remember after Jesus appeared to 10 of the disciples in the upper room on resurrection evening, when Thomas came around later on, they told him they had seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And he said, I'll not believe unless I can put my fingers into his hands and put my, my hand into his side. I'll not believe. We call him doubting Thomas, but it wasn't doubt. He didn't believe it. It was a problem with unbelief. Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they said at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So Hebrews warns us there in chapter 3, lest there be in any of you, get this, an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart doesn't mean necessarily committing adultery. Evil heart doesn't necessarily mean stealing or killing or backbiting. An evil heart of unbelief is simply a heart that does not take God's word as he says it, believing God will do what he said. Now, it doesn't make any difference how it looks. We need to understand God's word is always true. The reality is I can have unbelief. You can have unbelief, and it's all too common among us. And we're supposed to be the people of faith. Remember that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here we find that Zacharias, this godly man, this man who had a great walk before men and before God, he didn't believe the promise. And he'd even been praying for it. Now, when I look at this passage and what the angel says to him when he says, thy prayer is heard, does that mean that Zacharias in his old age and his wife, well stricken in years, does that mean he was still praying for a child? Or was it that he had prayed for a child for a long time, hadn't prayed now in a while, and the angel comes and says, hey, God heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. Either way, when he heard it, he didn't really believe that it was going to happen. He had good news about it, but it did not look possible. Faith is a lot like health. It must be maintained. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. You've got to stay in the Word of God. You're not going to stay out of church and build faith. It's not going to happen. Well, I can read my Bible at home. Well, more than likely, if you're staying home, you're not reading your Bible at home. But he didn't say faith cometh by reading. He said faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The scripture says, he that turneth, turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. God's basically telling us it's far more important that you hear what he has to say than that he hears what you have to say. And if you're going to treat his words so lackadaisically, if that's even a word, if you're going to do that, he says, then your prayer is just an abomination to him. So notice then the cause. It means reading and applying and practicing it. By the way, let me throw in here Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
Now, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here for just a moment. It's one thing to say that I believe the Bible. But when I try to explain away Scripture that I don't want to obey, then I am walking in unbelief and not in belief. You understand, God means what he says about everything. I know multitudes of Christians, know of multitudes of churches that are real good at explaining away what God clearly says in his word. I give you an example just simply from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, where God spends 16 verses telling us why that when men pray, their head is to be uncovered, and when women pray, their head is to be covered. I've heard preachers get up and mock other pastors that preach on long hair and short hair. You see, here's the thing, the very argument behind the long hair and short hair argument that God gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 destroys what some people say about dress. Doesn't matter to God what you look on the outside. God looks on the heart. There's no place God says it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. When he was choosing a king, he chose somebody after Saul. He chose somebody that didn't look real good, but he saw his heart. That had nothing to do with the clothing that he had on. But it's very, very plain that God created the male and female, and the female is to dress like a female, and the male is to dress like a male. And it makes a difference in the act of praying what you look like even from the neck up, according to the Holy Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But you see, there are numbers of people who claim to be believers. I have no reason to doubt that they are believers. And yet, they don't believe that, even though God says it. And do you know the excuse that they give? Culture. Well, that was in their culture back then. Well, guess what, folks? Culture never trumps Bible. Bible always trumps culture. God writes to a people who are in a wicked culture. We are in a wicked culture in the United States of America today. It's absolutely, this is a culture that calls good evil and calls evil good. And I'm not going to take this culture and set it up to the Bible and say because there's a difference what the Bible says and what the culture says, I'm not going to say, well, culture must be right. It's not right. The Bible's always right. It's a wicked culture in at Corinth when the Holy Spirit of God had Paul write that first letter. So notice, uh, not only do we see the commonness that anybody can have, that very godly people can have unbelief, but also the cause of the unbelief. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Now, the angel had just given him a marvelous promise. His prayer is, has been heard, and he's going to have a son, and this son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord, and he's going to turn many people to the Lord. What a great promise. And what is Zacharias doing? Lord, show me a sign. Show me a sign. That's unbelief. In the story of Gideon, God told Gideon, that Gideon was going to be used to take off the oppression of the Midianites. 
And so Gideon basically said, show me a sign. He did the fleece thing. When God answered the fleece, that didn't satisfy him. And so he had to do another fleece in the opposite way. That didn't satisfy him. God told him again he was going to use him as a judge for Israel and get rid of the oppression of the Midianites. He still doesn't believe him. Finally, God tells him, go down into the camp of the Midianites and see what they have to say. And while he and his servant are down there in the camp, they hear a Midianite come in and tell his dream that a big stone came down and crushed the Midianites. And now Gideon is assured he's going to have a victory. He didn't believe the word of God. He believed the dream of a, of a Midianite. That's unbelief. It's amazing what God did through all that. And then God ended up giving him the victory. We get like that a lot. The cause of the unbelief, it looked impossible. Therefore, let me help God out with a credit card. God gave Abraham a promise of a son. And he and Sarai got together and they came up. I'll tell you what, I've got a handmaid here going under her. Boy, that created a whole other set of problems for him. Why? Unbelief. Unbelief. I love it when God says in the book of Romans that Abraham wavered not at the promise of God. You look at it, you say, well, it looks like he did. What's it going on? Thank God we have a God who sees us as we can be. In the midst of our, listen, we'd mess everything up if we went by this matter of living by sight. It was the ten spies that brought a message where Israel stayed out of the promised land for 40 years. Ten spies. And you know, they, the truth is, those ten spies with their words of unbelief did something that all the armies of the people of the land could not do. They stopped Israel from getting into the land with their words of unbelief. Not only that, it was the disciples about the resurrection. They'd heard it. They'd heard that the tomb was empty, but they didn't believe it. With Moses, it was anger that caused him to put trust in his oratory and his own physical power instead of God. Sometimes pastors trust the power of their preaching in their oratory or their outline. Now, listen, I'm not against alliteration, not illiteration, but alliteration, where you make the points all begin with the same letter. There's some other different things you can use in preaching. I'm not against it. I do it once in a while. Don't do it much. And the reason I don't do it much, it's supposed to be a memory tool. But I'll tell you what it's become for a lot of preachers. It's become a pride tool. They are good. Some of these guys, man, they can make, they can have 10 points. They all begin with the same letter. And each of the 10 points has three or four sub points. And they all begin with another letter. And somehow they remember them all. I can't. I'll forget what letter I'm on. I heard a preacher one time give three thirdlies in a row. Thirdly, and then thirdly again, then thirdly again. I thought, what point are we possibly on with this? Couldn't get it. Now, there are a lot of preaching devices that help us, 
But, dear friend, for it to have power, you can have power without any alliteration. Just look at the day of Pentecost. No alliteration there. 3,000 got saved. I'd say that's pretty powerful. Stick with the Word of God. Sometimes parents trust their own wisdom in raising their children over the Word of God. You better be careful about that. You need Him. You need Him. I've not met any perfect parents. I've met some who thought they were. Not met any perfect parents. All of us looking back can say, you know, but for the grace of God. Thank God for his blessing. Thank God for his working. Thank God for, I mean, here, here, these are kids being brought up in a home of people who aren't perfect. And that's true of every home. We need him to be the right kind of parents. Sometimes husbands and wives guide their marriages and responses to one another by their feelings instead of just obeying God. Man, you've got to be committed to God over your feelings and your responses to one another. God tells us how to respond to one another. Now, I just can't imagine. I used to have a deacon up in Manchester say, you know, my wife and I have been married 50-some years, however many it was, Brother E.C. Bailey, and he said, you know, we've never had a short word with one another. We've had a bunch of long ones, but we haven't had any short words with one another. Yeah, that's pretty much true of everybody. I mean, unless you can't talk. How many times people have said something like, well, there's no hope for him. I mean, after all, he's not going to change. There's no hope for her. She's not going to change. Well, if there's a God, there's hope. Amen. That's amazing how, how quickly we're willing to give up on people. Thank God he doesn't. What a great God we have. What about prayer? What about, what about a husband loving his wife? Like, I've heard so many excuses from husbands and wives both why, they, why it doesn't do any good to be what they're supposed to be. That's just unbelief is all that is. It's just unbelief. Be what you're supposed to be. Instead, the easy way is say, well, we're going to get divorced for the children. No, become godly Christians. Be a godly husband. Be a godly wife for the children. Listen, be godly parents. That's what they need. Stick with it for the children. Well, we don't want them to be unhappy. You think divorce will make them happy? Man, it's amazing the things people do for children. Matter of fact, they pass lotteries for children. They kill babies for children. It's amazing what they do for the children. And none of it's for the children. When a, when a politician starts talking about for the children, you better be careful because he's lining his pockets with something. And it just sounds good. All this racing stuff, lottery stuff. Anyway, the commonness of unbelief, the cost of unbelief, and the comment of unbelief. Back here in verse 18, Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. What we do is, when we're challenged, we state something, we state why it can't happen or why it won't happen. Like, how is God able? Doesn't God need my help? No, he doesn't need my help. He wants my obedience. That shows that I trust him. He, uh, well, I, but, if, but, but if I don't do it with my own wisdom, and then God can't get it done. No, he's, his wisdom is plenty enough. Just obey his word. 
How we need to be like the father who brought his son to Jesus. And Jesus said, if thou believest, if thou believest. And the father replied, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Help thou mine unbelief. The man recognized the struggle he had within. Most never recognized their own statements of unbelief. For instance, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you believe that? Do you believe, child of God, that you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? Do you believe that for yourself? Well, the person says, I can't go soul winning because I could never talk to someone. Wait a second. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I was pastoring uh, Battle Creek Baptist Church here on the other side of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Uh, my first church, we had twins, Brenda and Linda Poe, coming to the church at that time. They were probably 15, 16 years of age. Uh, long black hair, twins looked alike, hard to tell them apart. I, I think the whole year and something that I was their pastor, I doubt that they said more than five words at any one time to me. That, and they were just so bashful, they were so shy, but every Saturday they were out knocking on doors. And they'd go up to the door together and they would talk to the people and all their shyness, they did it. Well, don't have the gift of gab. Don't worry about it. Just go up. Our job is to go and tell. Don't worry about the results. God can take care of the results. God is the one who brings the conviction. He tells us to go and to preach, and that's our job. So if we do that, if nobody gets saved, well, then praise the Lord. I did my job. I showed the Lord. I believed what he said. Just trust him. Trust him. We put all this emphasis on being able to do it exactly right. i never forget, I was, <laughs> I was so winning in Chattanooga, Tennessee with a guy, his first name was Scott. And um, I, I went to the first one and I witnessed to that person. We go just a little ways down the street and there was a guy sitting on his front step. And he's an older fella. I, I say an older fella. He's probably about 60, which would be a younger fella than me today, but he looked really old back then. And uh, it was Scott's turn to talk, and it was time for me to be the silent partner. And so Scott walked up to him, and he said, if you were to, if you were to go to heaven, would you die today? <laughs> and he looked at the guy. I mean, Scott was serious now. And he looked at the guy. The guy looked back at him. He didn't look serious. He looked confused. I'm sitting there thinking, that's a strange question. And then Scott says, that's a very serious question, isn't it? And I'm thinking, yeah, it sure it is. I don't even know what you're saying. And then, and then he went right into the plan of salvation. The only problem was it probably took 45 minutes to give it, and he was all over the place. And I was thinking... When we leave here, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to go back to the car and I'm going to have to sit down with Scott and say, listen, you need to do this in order. He gets to the end of his presentation and he says, would you like to trust Christ as your Savior today? And the man said, yes, I would. Amen. He, asked, he asked the Lord to save him. And uh, 
We didn't go back to the car. We just went on to the next house. I didn't have anything to tell him. The guy got saved. That's fine. Hey, that's fine. Had, had a young man in our church up in Manchester, Tennessee. Uh, man, he had a great night out. He, uh, he came back. I had gotten to lead that young man to the Lord. He'd grown the Lord, felt called to the ministry and all that. And so he came back from soul winning on a Thursday night. And he said, preacher, man, we had five saved. It was great. I said, Really? Five, seven, he said, yeah, man, it was great. He said, I, I was witnessing to him, and he said, I started talking to him about, uh, about uh, but I'll get it down here, Peter and the Ethiopian eunuch. And man, he got saved. <laughs> he said, where, I couldn't find it. Where is that? I said, well, Peter and the Ethiopian eunuch is not in the Bible. <laughs> it was Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But he gave the gospel, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I mean, sometimes we may mess something up, but it's amazing how God can take the message right to the heart. Somebody says, well, I I can never teach a Sunday school class. Wait a second. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Someone says, well... you got to understand, preacher, I can't tithe. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do we really believe Philippians 4.13? Do we really believe that we can do all the things that we should do through Christ? We don't want to do it through the flesh. We want to do it by faith in Christ. Well, what if no one gets saved when I go out that time? Well, you were obedient and going out. That's enough. Listen, just go ahead and keep sowing. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season you reap. If you faint not, just keep going. You can trust the Lord. The comment of the disciples on Resurrection Day. Uh, they, They had seen Christ die. And yet they said to Jesus, didn't even know they were talking to Jesus, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. That's what we trusted. And now it's all gone. It wasn't gone. Unbelief had entered in. The contrast of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they said to the king, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. We believe he's able. Or how about the church in Acts chapter 12? James the apostle has been killed. Peter's been thrown in prison. And they have met together and they have prayed. The Bible says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when an angel comes and gets Peter out of the prison, he goes to the house where they're praying. And when the servant girl hears the knocking at the door and she sees that it's Peter, she runs in to tell everybody and they said, it can't be so. He's dead. It must be a spirit. They didn't believe God was going to answer, but they believed God enough to go ahead and pray. Oh, too many times we look look at by sight, and that brings up unbelief. What comments have you made lately to show unbelief in a promise of God that's kept you from, listen, during the revival? I've had a prayer request deep on my heart. And I'll be honest with you, I've just about given up on it. 
something I've prayed over and over and over again. And the night that the preacher preached on prayer, God really challenged my heart. So I went to some scripture, and I found the scripture in Matthew where he says, but with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I decided I'm just going to keep praying. Lord, I can't do it in my own wisdom. I'll mess everything up. I'm just asking you, and I'm just waiting on you. And practically every day I have prayed over and over again throughout the days. I've been praying, Lord, you know this is a burden on my heart. And I realize with me it's impossible, but with you all things are possible. I don't deserve to have you answer my prayer, but you're still the prayer answering God. And so I'm trusting you, not putting a time limit on anything. God, when God does it, it'll be the right time. It'll be the right way. And I'll just say hallelujah. Amen. You can trust him. Listen, be careful. Lest any of us by, by a spirit of unbelief end up doing wrong. Notice the condemnation of the unbelief in verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb. And not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Zacharias's unbelief was literally inexcusable. What excuse does he have? You say, well, it didn't look right. Well, the angel had given him the message, and this was an angel of God, and he knew it because of where he was at. He was in the temple. And the angel came to him, gave him God's message. Our excuses are inexcusable as well. We've got the word of God. And he had the pure word of God in the Old Testament. He had a number of times. He had the examples of the Old Testament. For instance, the one of Abraham and Sarah. How about the promise of a child there? How about the promise God had given for Isaac and Rebekah? He had that. Zacharias knew all the stories. He was a priest. He could look at his Old Testament. He could find those stories. How about when an angel went to the parents of Samson and told them they were going to have a child and what he was going to do? So he had that from the Old Testament. We all have examples in the Word of God of the mighty power of God to fulfill his promises. So what we do is we seek his face. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Plus, not only that, Zacharias had experience. He had known God for some time. Careful, saints. Remember, Moses had known God for some time, too. But he didn't believe God when he was told to speak to the rock. He didn't believe God. It ended up costing him. Moses had been walking with God for years. Moses had stood before the Red Sea and lifted up his rod at the Red Sea and saw the waters part. I mean, he had seen personally, firsthand, had witnessed the power of God. Man, when you think about that, how in the world could he ever show unbelief? But he did. The disciples had been with Jesus for three and a half years. Think of all the miracles they had seen Jesus do. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him heal the blind. They were there. They saw so many of the miracles that he did. 
How long have you been saved? You know, I've been saved now since 1971, so that's 51 years. Boy, it just doesn't seem that long. 51 years. I can remember early on in my Christian life, people talking about, man, I've been saved 10 years seeing God work. And I'm thinking, boy, I guess I'll be an old, strong Christian when I've been saved 10 years. But Brother Weeks, I've been saved 51 years now, and I still have trouble with unbelief. The next experience is like a brand new experience all over again. I wish we could just learn, but Moses had trouble with it. David had trouble with it. Think about how God had rescued David over and over again, and yet for some reason, I mean, Saul had been trying to kill him, trying to kill him, he couldn't kill him, and he wakes up one morning and he says, I need to go down to the Philistines because Saul's going to kill me. Saul couldn't kill him. God had gotten him out of mess after mess, and now suddenly he looks to do something that is so totally wrong going down to the Philistines. But he did it. Jesus was upset with his disciples after the Mount of Transfiguration because they couldn't cast a demon out of a boy. And he rebuked them. He said, oh, ye of little faith. Wow, and they'd been walking with him for a while. They had seen his mighty works. They had heard the great things that he taught. But he equally marveled at the centurion who told him, hey, I'm a man under authority. You don't need to come to heal my servant. Just speak a word. It'll be done. He said, I've not seen so great faith in all of Israel. He marveled at that centurion for his tremendous belief. So we've got the commonness of unbelief, the cause of it, the comment about it, the condemnation of it. And then the curse of unbelief. Back there in verse 20, he says, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. You notice I'm using some alliteration here. (laughs) Say, what was the curse of it? Curse was he would be dumb, unable to speak until the child was born. He had wanted a sign. He had God's word. God's word ought to be enough. You don't need a sign. Just take God at his word. Just do it. You see, that tells us some things about unbelief. Number one, it is unacceptable to God. He wants us to live by faith. Those who doubt God's word are honored today by the world and all too much by the religious world. And we've got to be careful about that. Even in religious circles, unfortunately, unbelief is lifted up. Unbelief in the word of God. For some reason, we seem to think that those people are Bible scholars. No, they're not. The idea of obeying God's word in all things is mocked, and those who question the faith are uplifted. So you've got series of emerging churches in major cities and small cities all around the country. And you know what? They have pretty big crowds, too. But the crowd isn't what it's about. Remember, all of Israel, that was a pretty big crowd, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua and Aaron and Moses, all of Israel thought they couldn't take the land. God doesn't commend them at all. But there was a curse because of it. They would walk around in the wilderness for a long time. It is not only unacceptable to God, but it is offensive to God. Because, you see, 
Unbelief basically calls God a liar. I know what you said, God, but I don't think, I don't think you can do it. And God is not a liar. It's impossible for God to lie. We take offense at being called a liar. How much more would the God of heaven take offense at being called a liar by his own children? I mean, think about it. Is God's word true? Can't we live like it? Oh, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But I want more than I need. So I prayed for something I don't really need, something I just want. God didn't give it. So I just believe God then doesn't answer prayer. Well, there is a promise in Mark chapter 11 about him even answering things that you desire. But here's the point. God knows exactly what he's doing. God knows exactly why. God's will is always best. And because I believe him and I believe his word, if he doesn't give something I'm asking for, it's not because he's being stingy. You know, I don't have to have a three-bedroom house. I've got a three-bedroom house. Don't have to have a three-bedroom house. There was a time when I pastored up at Tennessee Ridge after the parsonage burned that we lived in a 10 by 35 old trailer. We brought it on church property. Our house had burned up and everything that was in it. And that first night in that trailer, I mean, it was small. It was very small. That first night in the trailer, we had put two, in that little 10 by 35 trailer, two fire alarms. But dummy me, I put the one fire alarm right above the furnace. And so here we are, the night after the house had burned down, we're laying in bed in that little trailer, and suddenly, beep! Man, you never saw three people get up so fast. And out the door into the yard. And it was cold out there. Snowy too. All of that was there. Say, what was your point, preacher? I forgot. I got wrapped up in the story. (laughs) But then there's the crippling of unbelief. Look at verse 22. And when he came out, (laughs) he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them. And remained speechless. He couldn't speak. It crippled his service. He was going to need to leave because he could not serve in the temple after that because he couldn't speak. The truth is, unbelief keeps people from seeing their prayers answered, keeps people from serving God, whether it be in something like VBS or the bus ministry or Sunday school or serving in the nursery are serving in the choir. And it's not, not a lot of people that can sing, and they can hit notes. I mean, they can hit the right notes. They may not be, you know, American Idol right notes, but that's okay. We don't have any idols here. Amen? I'm one of those people, I believe, if people can hit the notes, they ought to use their voice for the glory of God. Singing together. We're going to be doing a lot of singing together when we get to heaven. Amen. So I like practicing. Unbelief. Matthew 13, 58 declares, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The crippling of unbelief. The problem, it spreads like an illness. 
It keeps marriages in jeopardy. It keeps families from having their children turn out right. It keeps their testimony for the power of God stymied. It will keep people in darkness. And it will keep the Bible a closed book. Parents to children. They see the parents' non-commitment to God's word. And then the children always amplify it. You know, there's a lot of cases in which children are kind of like a caricature of their parents. Now, you know what a caricature is. If you were to walk on the streets of Paris or London, England, you'll find some people on the sidewalk that have got a big sheet there and they'll do your portrait, but it's a caricature portrait. If you happen to have a big nose, in that portrait, your nose will be bigger. As a matter of fact, in caricatures, they always accent some of the specific points about you that really in real life, if they were bigger, would not be very flattering. As a matter of fact, you'd probably want to have some plastic surgery done if that's the way it was. Unfortunately, our children often become a caricature of us in that they pick up those parts that we wish they wouldn't. So we have to be careful. When it comes to this matter of unbelief, we want to show our kids a powerful God. But to do that, we have to take God at his word. For the saved, lack of service, record of lack of effect on others, and eternity of what might have been if I just would have trusted God and served the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. You've given us a great book. I believe it's true from beginning to end. And yes, so many times we have failed you by not taking you at your word and just surrendering, letting you use us for your honor and for your glory, claiming your promises. You declared without faith it's impossible to please you. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, Lord, I pray that there'd be Christians tonight who'd begin to consider what their life might be like in living for Jesus if they would just take you at your word. God, may decisions be made tonight that please you, I pray. They could be life-changing decisions. We get right about those areas of unbelief from the Bible characters we talked about tonight and decide we're going to believe you take you at your word. Have your way in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name.